This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Okay, this is about as close as I ever come to wearing a tie at church, all right? But this is the actual ribbon that we cut on Monday morning from the new, on the new facility, so... So fun, so fun. So uh, Bob's got a lot more stuff to talk to you about, so I'm going to speak a little bit shorter this morning. Don't applaud now, but anyway, that's a... uh... And by the way, I'm going to talk to you uh, about something that I know is, well, it's a part of all of our lives. And uh, many people are surprised to know that Jesus spoke about very, very practical things in life. And it's a shame often what pastors do with, with the words of Christ because it's amazing how they can be turned into something quite boring. Um, as a matter of fact, when I first came to Petaluma, I did a little informal research because uh, 90-some percent of the people in our town and in the surrounding area don't go to church. So whenever I would run into somebody in, in conversation that didn't go to church, I would just simply say, why don't you go? And you know, the most uh, often given answer to that question was this. The sermons are boring and they don't relate to my life. Isn't that something? Now, I often wonder, and I'm I'm certainly not meaning to throw any stones at any pastors, but I'm, I'm wondering, they can't be reading the same words of Jesus that I'm reading. Because the words of Jesus are so practical and so relevant and, and, and so interesting. And so the subjects that he talked about are subjects that you and I deal with every day. And this particular one I know we all deal with. We're going to talk this morning about how to overcome a critical spirit. And by the way, if you don't like the way I deliver this, you probably need it. <laughs> Understand? There you go. So let's have some fun with this and let's learn some things along the way. Now, just just because I know that it's important for us to get it right, I want to give you an alternative spelling to critical spirit. So are you ready to write it down? Here's the alternative spelling to critical spirit. It is... Everybody on board with that? It's gossip. You know, I learned a long time ago with Christians, gossip is what other people do when they talk about others. Prayer requests are what I do when I talk about others. I don't care what you call it. It's a critical spirit. And it's something you and I have to deal with all of the time because we are human beings and because we are human beings who are subject to sin and subject to temptation That's one of the most frequent temptations that we all have to deal with. And when our guard is down, the next thing you know, we find what comes out of our mouth is what should not even have been in our heart to begin with. Now, Jesus gave some wonderful teaching about this, and it's in the context of other things that you and I have often heard kind of lifted and applied in different ways. So this morning, we're going to take the passage 
don't judge so that you will not be judged. That passage that oftentimes even people that have never read the Bible know how to quote that passage. Let's take a look at it in its context here in the book of Luke and let's see what Jesus has to say to us. Now he started out by saying, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Now if you look at that, The first part of it is kind of the negative side of it. Don't do this and this negative thing won't happen to you. And this latter part of it is the positive side of it. And Jesus wants us to know that it works in both directions. But the underlying truth is this. Life is a reflection of my spirit. There's an old story told about a family that was moving to a new town. And along the way, as as they were going there... They stopped and they asked people about the town where they were going. And they stopped and asked an old farmer. And and, and they said to him, we're moving to such and such a town. Can you tell us what kind of people live there? And he said, well, where have you come from? And they said, well, we've come from this town. He said, well, what kind of people live there? And they said, oh, they were mean and nasty and terrible. That's why we're moving here. He said, well, I wish I had better news for you, but I think you're going to find the people in the new city are just about like the ones you left. And not too long after that, another load of people that was moving to this new town stopped and asked that farmer, said, what kind of people live in that town? He said, where'd you come from? They said, oh, we came from this town. And he said, what kind of people live there? And they said, they were just the most wonderful people. Oh, we hate, we really hated to leave, but we, we had to, the job is moving us here. And we're just so concerned that the place we moved to won't be as nice as the place that we left. And he said, I have great news for you. And they said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I think you're going to find that the people who live in that new town are just about like the people in the town that you left. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of truth in that concept. I wrote this down, okay? Write these two words down. Personal culture. Do you know you have a personal culture in your life? It's something, it, it's the, in America we like to talk about our personal bubble, okay? And we don't like people to invade our personal bubble, right? Um, well, inside your personal bubble, there's a culture or an atmosphere. And it's what you live in. Some people have a personal culture and bubble that no one would want to break anyway. It's miserable. Even they hate it. The only problem is they take it with them everywhere they go. Okay? I want you to say this phrase with me. I create the culture of my life. Would you say that out loud with me, please? I create the culture of my life. You know, the amazing thing about yourself is you take you wherever you go. You can never leave you behind. So it's great if you create in that personal space and personal bubble of yours, it's wonderful if you create goodness and graciousness. Now, what was it Jesus said? If you decide that in your personal space, you're not going to make it a space of condemnation and judgment, then guess what happens? 
the people around you don't tend to judge and condemn you. And if you decide that in that personal space of yours, you're going to make it a wonderful space of generosity and giving and mercy and forgiveness so that those around you feel graciously accepted regardless of what they've done and and they feel like you love and care for them in spite of all of their imperfections, then those people will turn around and look at you much in the same way and they will accept you with your faults and your imperfections. Because that's the culture you've created in your life. Life in general will be a reflection of who you are. That's principle number one. Now, let's see what Jesus had to say next. He said, A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And you know something? When pastors preach on giving at the local church, we love that passage. And it's true, it is about generosity, but it said, Jesus said it originally, not in the context of giving at the local church, He said it in the context of judgment, of having a critical spirit. Now here's the life principle that comes out of this. My critical spirit returns, (laughs) but how does it come back? With greater intensity. You know, what Jesus is really talking about here is the concept of sowing and reaping. And we all know that that old phrase, you reap what you... Okay, I, I, I want you to understand this. You get to decide what you harvest. And you decide what you harvest in life by what you, re- by, by what you sow. But you don't get to decide how much you harvest. Now Jesus seemed to indicate that you're going to harvest a lot more than you sow. Isn't that right? He said, whatever you give out, is going to come back to you pressed down, shaken together and running over. And when we give grace, we go, thank you, Jesus. But when we give criticism, do we want it pressed down, shaken together and running over when it comes back? Yeah, not so much. But the same principle applies to both. And so the Lord invites us to live graciously and to live with grace toward those around us, and to live with a forgiving spirit. Because when that comes, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, then we're so blessed. So that's principle number two. Let's take a look at the next thing. There's another principle here. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they... Not both fall into the pit. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, it sounds like Jesus switched subjects there, doesn't it? So far, it just kind of, kind of worked. But he's not, Jesus is not going from subject to subject to subject. They all fit together. So what does a blind man have to do with this? Well, there's, here's the life principle that comes out of this. People with critical spirits tend to feed off each other. Have you noticed that? You let someone with a critical spirit, 
uh, someone who likes to gossip, someone who's always criticizing what other people do and always talking about the problems that other people have. You bring them into a church and guess what? They can sniff out every other critical spirit in the place. You take them into a new workplace and guess what? They haven't been in the lunchroom three days until they're all with all the other negative people over there in the corner talking about how bad things are in the workplace and how that all the bosses in this place are stupid. Can't figure out how they got their job. Why they could do that guy's job way better than he could. They could do her job way better than she can. What in the world do the people think? Yeah, I kind of wonder that too. Why did they hire them? Yeah. Critical spirits tend to... Now, here's what Jesus said. A critical spirit is like being blind. And I'm going to show you in a minute how He applies that. But a critical spirit is like being blind. And so when you take one person who is blinded by a critical spirit and you and they get together, now what do you have? You have the blind leading the blind, and guess where they end up? In the pit. You know what the pit is? I'll tell you what the pit is. Eventually, they turn on each other. And the critical people begin to criticize other critical people, and that's when you have a little miniature nuclear war at work, right? We've all seen that happen. We've all witnessed that. We've all had a front row seat to that, and just went, oh my goodness, why would anyone live that way? How terrible. It's the blind leading the blind, and eventually they fall into this pit, and it's destructive for both of them. Now Jesus moves on, and here's what He says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. By the way, would you consider someone with a plank in their eye uh, at least partially blind? I guess so, all right? Now he goes on to say, How can you say to your brother, Hey brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank that's in your own eye? Now you hypocrite! First, Take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's a wonderful life principle, and that is a critical spirit distorts how I view myself. Very clearly it does in this passage. This guy's critical spirit caused him to look at himself and think, hmm, you know, two, two ways in which it blinded him. Number one, it blinded him to his own faults. Uh, would you say he had a relatively serious problem? Very serious problem. But he's going through life as if he has no problem. And yet he has this giant plank sticking out of his eye. And everyone who meets him goes, oh my goodness. That's gross. And he goes, you know, he had a little toothpaste right here. Yeah. And when we have a critical spirit, what happens is we get so focused 
on the faults and failures and shortcomings and sins of other people that we get blinded to our own struggles and our own sins and our own faults and our own failures and and whatever else we want to call them and and we go through life actually never dealing with the issues that are destructive on the inside of us and we become a shell of the person we could have been all the while not realizing that the problem with the world isn't those people with specks in their eyes. The problem with my world is the plank in my own. But here's the second way it blinds us. It blinds us in that it gives us a false sense of what we can do. It, it falsely elevates our own self-confidence. And we think that if I find a fault with this person and find a fault with that person, that somehow it makes me a better person and somehow it lifts me above criticism because if I can, if I can keep everybody else on the defensive, then no one ever really looks at what goes on in my life. And I go through life with this false confidence that I can do things that I really can't do. Think about how Jesus illustrated this. Here's a guy with a plank in his eye and and he's wanting to do eye surgery. And if you interview him, sir, do you think you could really do this? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What Jesus is saying is it's so important for... By the way, there are a number of truths in here that I call liberating truths. Because even though on the surface they might, they might point the finger at, of guilt at us, if we will learn to embrace them and deal with them, they bring such freedom in our lives. You know that first truth I gave you? And that is, I create the culture of my life You know, once you realize that, you realize how liberating that is. Many, many people I work with and deal with and counsel and talk with who have very significant problems in their life have either a conscious or a subconscious thing that they carry with them that says, if everybody else would change, my life would be happy. And they live their lives bound by what other people do. And if they would just get a hold of that one liberating truth that no matter what anybody else does in the world, I can be a happy person because I create the culture in which I live. And if I would just take God's Word and begin to live it and believe it and put it to work in my life, it wouldn't make any difference who these people are. I could experience a happy life and a joy-filled life and a satisfying life because I create the culture in which I live. That's a liberating truth. Well, this is another liberating truth. No matter how many faults you find with other people, it never changes your life. And you would be amazed at how many people try to change their life by changing somebody else. Yeah. Jesus said right up front, You've got, you got to look at your own life first because no matter what anybody else does, it's your own life that determines how you feel, 
how you live, and what happens in your world. So there it is. A critical spirit distorts how I view myself. Now as Jesus wraps this up, He gives us two more principles. Let's take a look. Now no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. And then Jesus gives us this wonderfully obvious but very practical application. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Hmm. The fruit of my life is determined by the root of my life. I have often been with people, and even Christian people, that will say something, and then they look at me, and they say, well, that's something you need to know about me. I just have a bad mouth. Now, I want to give you what they just said. Here's what they said in the language of Jesus. I know that that was just a thorn that came out of me, but trust me, I'm really a fig tree. I know that was a briar I just let go and it stuck in that guy. But trust me, I'm a grapevine. You know, according to Jesus, when you say, I just have a bad mouth, that's a very, very gross um, misdiagnosis. Here's what we don't like to admit about ourselves, but it's true. I don't just have a bad mouth. I have a bad heart. We never say that about ourselves, right? Now Jesus very clearly says, you know something? When you walk up to a plant and you get stuck by thorns and thistles and briars, it's not a fig tree. I don't care what it says. It could even be wearing a sign that says, Victory! But it's not. And you know, that's a challenge. That's a wonderful challenge for us. Because one of the greatest deceptions that will hold me captive and be destructive in my life is for me to continually shoot out thorns and thistles, but to believe that I'm a fig tree or a grapevine. And to deceive myself into thinking the fruit can be one thing while the root is another. Now, does the fruit determine the root or does the root determine the fruit? What do you think? It's the root that determines the fruit, right? You plant an apple tree and you get apples. It's all you're ever going to get off of an apple tree because by its nature, it's an apple tree. And because its nature is to be an apple tree, it's going to give you apples. Because that's what apple trees do by their nature. Now, if the story ended there, it would be a sad story indeed. Because we would all be sitting here going, okay, (laughs) I let loose a few thorns and briars this week. (laughs) What does that mean? That means, man, my root is thorns and briars. 
And since we all know that thorns and briars only give thorns and briars, is there, how come I wasn't born a fig tree? Here's the rest of the story. Take a look at how Jesus closes it. Now the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know what God says? God says there's something that I do with human beings that I don't do with fig trees or thorn bushes or grapevines or briars. God says I give human beings the ability and the opportunity to change their nature. Did you know that's the message of the Bible from start to finish? If you look inside, there's no doubt you have a bad nature. I do too. But the great thing is, God says my nature can be changed. And here's one of the great principles for how our nature is changed. The nature of my life is determined by what I nurture in my heart. You ever have bad thoughts? Shake your head like this. You're a human being. You have grotesque thoughts. You have unspeakable thoughts. There's not one person in the audience this morning that would be willing for God to bring you up front and project on this screen every thought you've had this week, right? That would be horrendous. We all have those thoughts. Even pastors have those thoughts. Maybe sometimes, especially pastors have those thoughts. But it's not the thought that enters into your head that determines your nature. It's the ones that you give a home to in your heart that determine your nature. You see, every time a thought comes into your head, you have the opportunity to either nurture it and treasure it and, and think about it and, and let it reside in your heart or you have the opportunity to reject it because it's a wrong thought and potentially destructive in your life and other people's lives. Every time you have a thought, you have that particular opportunity. And depending upon what you decide to give a home in your heart to will determine whether you're really a thorn bush or a briar or whether you're a fig tree or a grapevine. You know what I wanted to call this message to begin with, but I thought it wouldn't make any sense to you at first. I wanted to call this message Treasures of Grace. Because here's what the Bible says. Let's go back and read that verse. It says the good man brings good things out of the good. One of the translations says treasured up in his heart. You know what happens to your life when you treasure the good in your heart and you consistently reject the evil? When someone comes to you 
with an evil report about somebody else, when you decide, I'm going to do two things with that, okay? Number one, if that's really true, wow. Boy, do I have compassion for them because they either are in trouble or they're really headed for trouble. And so I want to take them and I want to lift them up before God in prayer and I want to begin to pray that they would open their heart to God so that God could speak into their life so that they might not live trapped in what you just heard that they did. And if God gives you the opportunity to go and sit down with that person and put your arm around them and say, I know you have a good heart. And I love you as a fellow human being, as a brother or a sister. I love you as a co-worker, whatever it might be. And, and I just want to know, is there anything I can do to help you? You see, when you start treasuring good in your heart, here's the amazing thing. You never have to sift. When it's time to speak, you just reach down, you ladle a big ladle, and you pour it out, and you don't have to wonder what it is because you have treasured up grace in your heart. And you are simply speaking from treasures of grace. Treasures of goodness. Now is that liberating? Oh, it's great because you don't have to have your guard up every time you open your mouth because something that you've treasured up in your heart that you shouldn't say might come out. It's great when all that's down there is good. So what did Jesus begin by saying? Don't judge and you won't be judged. And how did he end it? Oh, if you don't want to judge, then store up good in your heart and not judgment. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so blessed. Lord Jesus, we're so, we're so challenged by the things that you say. And we're so blessed that even though, even right now, this week, we might have been a thorn bush or a briar that if we'll begin to, to consistently reject the evil and treasure up in our hearts the good, that we can become a fountain of grace and graciousness and that the personal culture in which we live will be one of wonderful grace so that we might bless those who are in our family and bless those who are in the church and bless those that we work with every day. We thank you and bless you for that challenge. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.